0: I'm kept up awake at night thinking, there are people on my street who who don't yet know Jesus, but who are willing to know Him. And we have been told this lie, I think, that nobody wants to hear about Jesus. But I never get over the fact that people are really wanting what we have.
1: Hey everyone, it's Jaden here. Welcome to this week's episode on the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. Today we are sharing the first of two conversations that Jason and I were able to record with pastors while we were on the road in Calgary, Alberta. And this first one is with Jess DeSabatino. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Jess has been in ministry for the last 25 years with those years now being spent serving in Calgary. She and her husband Dave are the lead pastors of Journey Church, which was formerly known as Church in the Hills before they merged with another community in Northwest Calgary. Alongside pastoring, Jess is also the vice president of My Safe Work, a nonprofit that advocates for healthy environments for vulnerable workers. Jess actually received the Governor General's Award for her outstanding work in this field in 2016, which is the highest award that can be given to a Canadian citizen. In addition to her pastoral and philanthropic work, Jess still travels all over the country to share about Jesus and his gospel. For today's conversation, Jason and Jess spent the entire time talking through the different plot points of her story, which include how her family came to know Jesus. It's a very bizarre and beautiful story that somehow includes Bibles in hotel rooms, late-night encounters with the Spirit of God, an ad that went in the paper. Jess is going to explain that later, and it all sort of amounted to this accidental house church that Jess grew up in. She also talked about the tragic passing of her brother, the depression she walked through, and how that led her to discover her calling inside and outside the walls of the church. Jess and Jason also talk a bit about how Journey Church came to be. The churches that merged, how they ended up in their building, and how they're now using that building to serve their community in Northwest Calgary. And throughout Jess's story, you'll hear Jason and her make pit stops to talk about themes like what becomes possible when two different generations work together, prioritizing ministry to the marginalized, the different ways personal loss can shape and define you. But the most standout theme throughout was Jess's perspective on evangelism to always live like the harvest is actually plentiful. We were so grateful to be able to meet Jess, to join her in-person at Journey Church for this conversation, so we hope that you enjoy it. Before we jump in, I'm gonna hand things off to our friends at Compassion Canada, then we'll go right in with Jason and Jess.
2: Today, our world is facing an unprecedented global food crisis. The numbers are staggering. With nearly 10% of the world's population, 828 million people being affected by hunger last year. That's 46 million more people than just a year earlier. It can be hard to imagine even making a dent in figures like that. But here's the good news. Compassion's local church partners are on the front lines and they are responding. And there are simple and tangible ways that you and your church can partner to answer hunger with hope. This year, you can give gifts of compassion that specifically target meeting the critical needs brought on by this food crisis. To give, we invite you and your church to visit compassion.ca shop. That's compassion.ca shop.
3: Well, it's good to be together. It's
2: good to be
0: here.
3: We're happy to be at Journey Church. What room are we in right now?
0: We're in what's called the Fireside Room. and it's I love
3: church building room names. I know.
0: Why, why is it? The, I guess we have a fireplace
3: there, You are one of the churches, probably the few that actually have a fireplace in the mm, Fireside Room. Yeah, that's
0: because we were trying to be integral with our naming. I think
3: it's a 90s thing. It was is, this it building is. built in the 90s? Oh,
0: super, uh, yeah, when we first arrived here, everything was a beautiful shade of dusty rose. And it was such a good throwback to how things were. The thing
3: is, it's going to come back. It is, and then we're going to we're think, gonna be so that mad that we, were, yeah, we should
0: have kept it dusty roads, the entire building.
3: Oh, well, it's very good to be with you. And um, I'd love just to start. Like, I want to get into chatting about the story of this church. I think it's really important, interesting. Um, but I'd love just to hear your own story of, like, coming to faith, find yourself in ministry. Yeah. And then the journey that led you into other. Uh, lot of different expressions of ministry and then here to Calgary. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, I didn't grow up, I wasn't born into a Christian household. I was born, um, into an average, like what I would say is an average Canadian household. My mom was a teacher my dad worked for Citibank and my family was like quite like they were kind of church people. Like mm. we went to mass sometimes mass and sometimes the Anglican church regularly Um, But my parents, when you talk to them about it now, would say they didn't have a personal relationship with God. What they were trying to do is like, maybe we'll do the right things. Yeah. Like I think a lot of Canadian people, like we'll try to be good people, we'll do the right things and somehow it'll all work out and we'll get a ticket to heaven when we die. So my mom, um, and so this is sort of how they grew up, both of them in their respective families. And um, my mom though was a real reader. And when I was uh, probably in ki- about kindergarten, she decided that she would read the Bible. She'd never read the Bible mm. before. She'd seen it in hotel rooms and figured she'd read everything else. So um, I wonder why this is in every hotel room. It's funny because we think that those Bibles have no sense in hotel rooms. But anyways, she gets to read in the Bible and she thought she would pull my dad into this with her. Mm. So I don't know if he was like really excited about it, but I think, you know... He just wanted to remain married. So (laughs) he read this Bible out loud and they read the Gospels. They read Matthew. They they decided that they should start in the New Testament. And she would tell you, she didn't know why. I was actually going to ask where they began, right? Yeah, they, they began in Matthew. So they read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And they're thinking, well, this is a nice story really is what they're thinking. And they believed in Jesus. So it was not as though this was. And my dad, I think, is thinking, this is a little bit repetitive
3: now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then they
0: get to the book of Acts, and they started to read out loud Acts 1 and 2. At the end of reading Acts chapter 2, my mom looks over to my dad and goes, I think I have that gift now you've met my mom, you would know that this is not surprising that she would say this. She has a lot of confidence. Yeah, and um, yeah. so she says to my dad, I think I have this gift. I think God's given it to me the gift of tongues she's talking about. Now, okay. Now, I, I just need to preface this by saying she's never met somebody with this gift. Okay. She's never, she doesn't know about Pentecostal tradition, charismatic people. Yeah. She never met a person like that. She leans over to my dad and says, I think I have this gift. I'm just going to ask God. Maybe he'd give it to me. So she prays a rudimentary prayer, like, I don't exactly know, like, God, I guess I believe in you, maybe, I think I have this gift. Like, I think it's kind of, I don't know if it's rude, but I don't know that it would, it wasn't like a fancy prayer. Yeah. Nothing happens. Hmm. So fine, they carry Hmm. on with their reading, and then they go to bed that night. The next day they get up, and they were having somebody over for dinner. And um, I actually remember this night. Hmm. My, um, my mom is upstairs in the kitchen, and we were having roast beef because it was 1983, and that's what that's she did That's what ate. you do. Mm-hmm. With Yorkshire pudding. And my dad is downstairs um, pretending to fix something, and they both get filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in other tongues. Wow. Now, this is not a, like, this is not a denominational. They don't know anybody. They, they actually think. so. so then they ha- So they're speaking in other tongues, and they're prophesying. My my dad came up like what and like is it was just on? a
3: spontaneous moment. Yes,
0: just a spontaneous moment. Wow. M- my dad is a banker. He works for Citibank. He's the vice president of Citibank. He has a serious job. He is not a person like prone to wild charismaticness. Sure. <laughs> like my mom is a kindergarten teacher, a reading remedial reading specialist. She these are like level headed as they come. Wow. So they go up into their room and are so ecstatic about this and then they're talking to each other so but then they got people coming over that night so my mom said she's never been like hey would you like dessert now okay i think you want to leave now because they wanted to like try this like in her words they wanted to test out this tongues they wanted to and they went they put us all to bed very early that night And that night they prayed and the holy spirit came on them and they cried and they laughed and they, like, all the, the funny gifts of the spirit that people talk about that are, like, weird. The things that we're uncomfortable with. This all happened to them in the span wow. of one evening. And, and there's they, no,
3: I mean, some of the, the critiques sometimes is just like, oh, that was manipulation. or No, they was, never knew they, anybody yeah. else.
0: So, okay, so now they know that God is real. And they've had this encounter with God. Now it's 1983 or 1982. And they have never met anybody They've never met an evangelical, actually. So we're not even talking a charismatic person. Right. They've never met an evangelical, which is wild to me. Yeah. So they do what you did in 1982 when you wanted to find people who were like you. They put an ad in the paper. No. Yeah. So they put an ad in the classifieds that said something like this. Um, if you are a born-again Christian who wants to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, because they somehow knew that this experience was tied to the Nicodemus text. That you have to be born again. Right. They somehow tied it to that. that.
3: that, that those, that's amazing that there was that kind of like, like the Spirit working Which in their just, minds. Yeah, it just reminds you that reading. the Holy
0: Spirit illuminates. And, and it makes sense now when we talk about, you know, that scripture in the New Testament where Paul says tongues is a sign for the unbeliever. Yeah. Like this was their experience. They oh, actually knew Jesus so was real. So they put this ad in the paper. In my experience growing up, was that many people would come to our house. Like, people would show up and... Like, I lived in Milton, Ontario, like, the bastion of
3: suburbanism. So they they put this thing in the paper and people...
0: People came. Oh, yeah, like, hundreds of people came. (laughs) Oh, my Like, not hundreds every week, but, like, Over time. Over time, Yeah. So, like, people who were not engaged in church, like, you didn't get any church people. You got, like, guys that were, like, alcoholics who needed God to do something in their life. Um, So you'd have guys that were like bar singers that would come play on our piano and just change. This is like not CCM, but like they would change all the songs, all the words to songs to Christian songs because that's all they knew to play and do. And I remember growing up in this environment, like people were getting healed. Deaf people were hearing. I mean, they just didn't know anything else. All they had was the Bible. Wow. Because they were still believing that, like, to go to a church, like an evangelical church, they didn't know what the process was. Right. Like, and who do you ask about that if you don't know any evangelicals? Like, who? they didn't know you could just show up at a place like Journey Church. Right. right. My mom always thought maybe you had to pay to go. She wasn't sure. And, and because they were a professional, they didn't want to ask anybody. So, right. So they just...
3: And did this become, like, a church plant, sort of, or like... Well,
0: no, because they wouldn't have known that. Like, revival like service I think or? they happened on Tuesday nights. On Tuesday nights. And they, they had, like, mega food, and people would just come wow. and get saved and healed and delivered and filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And, and they didn't know any of the weird conventions, like, that this was a certain denominational thread or not. But anyways, as time went on, they did realize that, okay, we probably need some training. So they the Lord brought some people who were from a church into their life. And we got planted, plugged into a church. And, um, but from that, my life was shaped because my mom would always say this to us growing up. I would have come to Jesus way sooner. Had I known? If somebody had told me, where, where was everybody from the, where were these generational Christians whose parents were Christians? I... Would have come, and she said, looking back on it, when she was in university, both of my parents went, went to McMaster University, which is in Hamilton. She said there was somebody who tried to to share Jesus with her, but they, and she said, I was really interested, but they got really nervous, and all their words were wrong, and they ran away, and they never came back, and she was like left standing there, going, I I would have been, I would have signed up for that, like that's, I.
3: That's an amazing thought.
0: So, my life as a as a kid and then as a teenager and consequently as a middle-aged adult, has been shaped by the verse where Jesus said, the fields are white unto harvest. Mm. Because I think that was the 80s when particularly Canada itself was becoming secularized. I think we can look back historically and think, I mean, it's a longer march than that. But somewhere in the 80s, we really decided that we are going to be a post-Christian nation. But my parents were growing up in that era. Yeah and they were ready to hear about Jesus. Yeah. And where were we? Hmm. And, and I am so grateful, I am forever grateful for the miracle working power of God yeah. that comes in, like he does come, he came and met my parents in a way that, like my family tree will be forever changed yeah. because of that. My mom is from a family of 16 brothers and sisters and all those people have been exposed to the gospel. Wow. Like hundreds of people now know Jesus, thousands, because God broke in on them. So I'm aware of two things. One, that God is a gracious God, that he breaks in on us when we are not expecting it. And that is, I mean, when, when my efforts fall short, I know that God is working in the background. It just gives me a lot of peace. But also, I'm really, like, I'm kept up awake at night thinking, there are people on my street. Mm-hmm. Who who don't yet know Jesus, but who are willing to know him. And we have been told this lie. I think that nobody wants to hear about Jesus. But I I am, I never get over the fact that people are really wanting what we have, like this Jesus that we have. So I think this has marked both, and I don't often get emotional. I tell this story a lot, and I don't often get emotional, but I I am really aware on this Friday that my city that I live in, that the country I live in, that the 34 million people that don't yet know Jesus, Jesus already told us, they, the fields are white. So I grew up in this family where we believed God for miracles. Um, I mean, we'd only ever seen that. And then, um, and I, I it, like it was sort of undeniable for my brothers and sisters and I, we all served the Lord because I mean, you couldn't get away from what God had done. And um, I went I went to school, I went to university, and um, I never, I was not planning on being a pastor. I was really from a, a pretty complimentary background, a complementarian background, so I was never like, here I am, I'm going to preach. I was a science and math um, nerd. Hmm. I loved science and math, and this was sort of the path I was going to take. When I was um, just in my last year of university, I, I, I helped out in churches always, though, because I knew God was, you know, that was the call of every Christian. So, um, when I was just about 21, I came back for I was living in the U.S., uh, working in a church there and going to university at the same time, and um, I was just helping them with all their tutoring programs and social justice programs, and I was working in the inner city and. It was a great role and I thought, you know, it's great that I'm doing this in my 20s and then I'll get a proper math job or I'll become a teacher or whatever. I'll just get a proper job. But anyways, I came back um, to Canada to get, re, to get some recertification in some things. And um, I'd been home for about a month and my, my little brother, who was three years younger than me, was also just, he was in between a year of university. He had a gap year, so he was working and I'd been home for about six weeks and we both had these, I had a job where I was teaching and he got a job from his friend. And um, on his second day at the job, he was 18, he was killed in a workplace accident. Oh, man. And he was injured, I guess, first. And um, I was working, got called down to my boss's, um, wow. um, my boss's office. And he said, listen, your brother's been in an accident. Hmm. People from the church are coming to pick you up. And, you know, I mean, any church people know that's terrible when someone's coming to pick you up. So I had this moment of like, this was so incongruent with my life to that point, because we'd seen the miracle working power of God. So we got to the hospital and I walked into Sunnybrook Hospital and I see my brother actually, as I walked in, was being rolled out of surgery. He'd had his arm dismembered and actually we came to find out that his brainstem had been severed. We didn't know that at the time. But for six days we prayed for a miracle and we we believed God for that miracle. Yeah. Like and on the sixth day he died. And even at his funeral, um, our church was packed and hundreds of people came to Jesus at his funeral and it was it was horribly amazing. Sort of like a good yeah. picture for life. Horribly amazing. And even at that funeral, I thought maybe maybe God will raise him up from the dead. Like well, I've seen God right. do miracles, and God did not. And I spiraled into what would be a, for sure, a clinical depression. I could not move. I could not. And I'd had a whole bunch of things. I was a young adult. I was about to get married, and then my life just turned upside down. So my marriage, my I wasn't married, but my Fiance left, my brother is dead, I can't make heads or tails of anything. I don't even know what it means to be a Christian anymore. Hmm. And I stayed in our basement, my parents' basement. I was sleeping in like my childhood bed, and I'm staying in our basement. And um, my mom, I think, or dad called our pastor, and they're grieving. They're in the midst of their grief over their son, but they... They called uh, the youth pastor, young adults pastor at our church and said, please, could you like come take Jess out of the house? Cause we, we, we don't know what to do with her. So my, my, the pastor at the time called me and said, Hey, would you like to come work at the church for five hours a week? And you could be the campus pastor by campus pastor. He doesn't mean like starting a church. He means like go to high schools and like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Be on campuses. Well, I am clinically depressed at this moment mm. I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. Like I did, but I was so angry. Like I really resonated with the Psalms where David was Mm. like a heavy metal psalmist.
3: Yeah, He gets low.
0: Yeah. I just, those were the only Psalms Mm. I could read.
3: That's beautiful. I
0: was so, um, and I was kind of angry too. Like, I don't Mm. think I was like super pleasant to be around. I think I wasn't funny. I was none of it. I don't know why I said yes, but I think I needed the $5 that I would be being right. paid. I, and I also was aware that I could help my parents by just getting out of the house sure. So this is at the height of the, when everyone's mad at, see you at the pool. Hmm. And in Ontario, at least, they're shutting, they're shutting that down. Like they're mm-hmm. saying no more Christian clubs on campus. So I think what I'm going to do, this is a stupid idea. Why do they want me to be a campus pastor? I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go in there and be like, Kind of awful. I went into every high school in Burlington, Ontario, and said, "Hi, my name is Jessica. I'd really like to come and pray and intercede for all your students. Hmm. I'm I'm a I'm kind of working as like a quasi pastor at the Pentecostal church down the road. I made it sound awful. Like yeah. I'm gonna really pray hardcore. I might even pray in tongues while I'm here. Right. Like I did not soft sell this. Yeah, I'd like to come in. I if there were students, I could lay hands on them. Yeah, thinking that if I and I you have to. Um, I was not in a good spot. So okay. like, this is like passive aggressive humor becomes my dark space. Right. So okay. like, <laughs> I am going to these schools and saying this, and I'm absolutely expecting them to say, absolutely right. not. You cannot come. And then I was going to go back to Mark, the, the youth pastor I worked with and say, I tried, but I can't do it. Unfortunately, every single school in the city was like, sure, come on in. Would you like an office? It was really weird and kind of like, I was kind of horrified by this.
3: This is early night. This is like,
0: no, this is like mid-90s now. Well, coming into the late 90s, this is like... Wow, yeah, yeah. So there's been a trail. There's been a 10-year trail of them like trying to shut everything down. Yeah, totally. So every school is like, some schools were like, would you like an office? Would you like to pray with people? And I am not in a good place. So I... I, I'm like, I'm mad too. I'm like so mad. Like, God, why would you, why would you let people, why would you let them do this to me? Yeah. And I'd sit in the cafeteria and I probably like, I'm 21, but I probably look like I'm a high school student. And I would sit in those that those dumb cafeterias and kids would come up to me and say, hey, somebody told me that you're here to tell us about Jesus. Could you pray with me? Wow. I mean, this very, I had this very weird season where like, I couldn't go anywhere without people coming to Jesus. Like my friends stopped refusing to go to the, they refused to go to the mall with me because I would ask to make keys and people would be like, Hey, there's something different. Like I would have to share Jesus. And I'm like hating this. Like, I am not like, I am not like I am becoming a celebrity. I am like, what is happening to me? I can't even understand Hmm. this. I'd sit at the food court and people would come and sit with me and I'd have to pray with them. And I would, so my church that is very complementarian at this point, they've never had a woman on staff. They didn't have women mm-hmm. on the board. They didn't, my pastor, cause kids all of a sudden start coming to the youth group and coming to Jesus. And we can't make, you can't, people are asking me what the program is I'm running. And I, I'm saying the program is I'm angry mm-hmm. and I'm reading angry Psalms. And that's like, that's my program. I don't have any program. I'm like singing, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord because it was the only song I really knew how to play on my guitar. And I kept, and it wasn't, I do not believe it was that song that caught, I was a terrible singer and a terrible guitar player. But like, that was the only program I could say I was running. E minor, D, E minor, just like a lot of E minor songs. So anyways, my pastor said to me, um, maybe you could share Hmm. on a Sunday night because it seems appropriate for a woman to share a testimony that's allowed and so i shared and a really weird thing happened people came to jesus and um that's how my journey into ministry started so i i like i didn't sign up for this and now it's been like 20 Mm. some odd years later and god keeps just saying yes Mm. so um
3: Ask a question about yeah. He might have not known, and God just was working. But like, it's like he—it's like in that invitation, He called something out of you that He saw. Yeah. Like, I just think about the role of like, what happens when you you call something out of someone totally. they don't even see, and it just seems really profound. And and He may or may not have been as like aware, but obviously there's some sense that yeah. you had. This a gift of faith or a gift of drawn people or whatever it was yeah. saw something and pulled it out totally. just wonder if you have any reflections on that that experience of somebody seeing something you didn't see in yourself necessarily yeah yeah
0: yeah I think you know and I I, I do think that that's true because I think he could see I was broken I mean that you didn't have to be a rocket scientist to see that Um, but probably could see that even in my brokenness that God could use me and I think that has probably that that was his gift and if like, if you know Mark, Jim, Mark and Andrea, uh, they see people in a way that is marked all over the place. So, yeah, and I think it's probably marked my own ministry. I, um, I hope that people um, can see that I see people. And, you know, there's a dark side to that, too, because sometimes you, ha- you see prophetic potential in people. <laughs> that they don't see themselves and there is this partnership that takes place i think Mm. we can see things in people and they also have to like take the hand of god and go okay god like i'm gonna walk with you in this so sometimes like because i think we think that's a an amazing thing an amazing gift to be able to see that in people but I think anybody who sees in people has seven train wrecks for every three good stories, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are, mm-hmm. and I think that's the reality. That's the of, sting
3: of it is like you, you yeah. give those opportunities and you call it out, and, and sometimes, sometimes they don't work out. I mean,
0: it could have been a disaster. Sure. Mark could have it could have been a total disaster. With me, yeah, it just happened that the Lord was working in mm-hmm. me, even in my bitterness and my angry disposition mm. it's also made me like I'm far less I'm way I'm never worried when someone is angry or feels like they can't do it or whatever because mm. I was there yeah and God still worked and yeah. he's still like I think up until that point I as you know I I could say all the Christian cliches God works with us in our brokenness and we sing all these songs about our brokenness but it really doesn't mean anything to you, you actually are super broken and God still uses you right And then that's like it makes the Bible characters make way more sense Mm -hmm. because they're messed up and God still uses them, Mm. which is wild.
3: And then what's the next kind of plot point in the story? So you you get this sort of immersion in ministry, opportunities to minister (laughs) and begin speaking. um, Yeah,
0: it's weird because I didn't think of myself as a speaker again. Like I was like, I could talk to you about covalent bonds all day long. (laughs)
2: Um,
0: But I never really thought of myself as communicator. Partly because I'm quite shy naturally, like I, uh, but anyways, I started getting all these speaking opportunities and I didn't know what I was doing. I had taken some, I had taken some theological training. So that, I mean, that part of the story, it was not as though I was not interested in the things of God. i had taken enough theological training to get credentials and I was really interested in it, but I didn't think it was going to be vocational. I thought it was for discipleship. Hmm. So anyways, I started getting all these speaking opportunities and in, in a lot of places in that still would not consider um, my ministry pastoral, but they, but I was okay with that. I, I can come and share. I can share to whatever you want me to share about. So I would like write messages on napkins like 20 minutes before I had to get up and speak. Cause I didn't really know. I hadn't taken like any homiletic. That was my journey too. I'm per, like, per I'm...
3: I was surprised that not everyone did that.
0: Yeah. Like I thought it was for Daryl Johnson. He's just dying yeah, as we say yeah, things exactly. like this. But like, I thought it was just like the Lord would come and give you a message mm-hmm. and you could have a napkin. 20 minutes
1: for like, give me yes, down, give God. It. Yes. And so a
0: funny like, story to start. The grace of God is good because you don't know any better. Like, it's not like you were trying to be lazy. I just thought that's how it worked. So anyways, um, I did that for a number of years, and then our church uh, invited me to be on staff as the evangelism pastor. Mm. And that was like a role in 1998 that was not a thing, but it was because I guess they thought I could teach people. The the weird thing was I didn't have a method for it. I didn't know how Mm. I got into conversations with people about faith. But, um, so I did that for a while, and then I got, um, I got, Co-opted into being the music pastor, which is wi- now that I think about it, wildly inappropriate because I was not good at it. But anyways, I did it. <laughs> it was just an immersion by I don't. I fire probably more for the congregation.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't
0: know if it was. A, I don't know if it was a powerful time for the congregation. But and then um, then I met my husband, who um, was interning at the church. And, um, he became the youth pastor. And so then we were on staff. I was on staff a couple of years before him, and then he came on staff as the youth pastor. And then we, um, we actually took a position in Hong Kong. We became missionaries for a short period of yeah. time and we worked in a high school there and, um, yeah, had really good learning, really hard and really good learning really good learning about what it means to carry the gospel in a way that is not ethnocentric and mm. it is not reminiscent of colonialism. And that was re- a really hard season, a hard season where uh, I wanted to give up, similar to most Mondays, but mm. <laughs> an extended Monday yeah. season. Yeah, And we came home and we, we uh, worked in a church in the inner city for a decade. In Toronto? Yeah, in yeah. Toronto. We worked at a... Church where we saw um, predominantly a very, it was a storefront church that then we outgrew and then we were in all kinds of places. But we saw lots and lots of broken people come to Jesus and it was a really hard ministry and a really beautiful ministry. And it, um, yeah, it it reminded me again, I think like the, that the beautiful, the gospel is beautiful and so messy Mm. and hard and wonderful and It's like a real mix of all the things. Yeah. So we did that for a decade. And then a bunch of denominational leadership for a number of years. And um, I I, I itinerated mostly for a number of years, just going to churches and predominantly stirring people towards the idea that if we're going to be Christians, that we must be engaged in the margins with people. Hmm. That that is the way to the heart of Jesus And then um, to a a lot of people's surprise, we came to Calgary after Mm. being in the inner city for 10 years. And that was somewhat a pragmatic decision. We have four children, Dave and I. um, How old are your kids now? I have a 19-year-old, a 16-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 9-year-old. And I'm so proud of myself that I just did that. And I got all their ages right.
3: Wow, that's yeah. a full deck.
0: Yeah, we got a decade of kids.
3: Come on, mm-hmm. so good.
0: So our church was growing, our inner city church was growing, and we recognized that um, for their own, for our children's discipleship, we really it just was a season. It had been a, an amazing decade, but we actually needed a different season for our kids for a number of different reasons. So we moved to Calgary, and. Um, I had I had done quite a bit of itinerating in Calgary. I had been here to many of the churches here and spoken here, and I would always come to the city and call Dave when on my way home and say, "I love this city. I just love this." Well, city. that's cool. That, that
3: was kind of percolating. Yeah, your
0: heart. my friends would say. Not everyone
3: says that when they visit.
0: No. Cause it's cold. I love this city
3: though. Yeah. I I'm saying that I yeah. love it. Not as much as I love the city, but it's cause I'm called to where I am. Right. But there's this great city.
0: But I also, I mean, I would, I mean, I can say that and it sounds good, but then I know that my friends who will listen to that. will be like, and also you love every city you ever go okay. to. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Like when we lived in Brampton, Ontario, yep. I loved. Brampton. Like I loved it so much. So uh, I don't know. I just like, I'm a city person. Somebody I from love Brampton, cities. Ontario right now I is just
3: feeling so loved and seen right because now. Most people, most
0: people don't even like Brampton, but listen, Radica's Devils is in Brampton <laughs> and that's why it's the best city. One of the best cities in Canada. Okay. So I digress, but I did really, there's something in this city that mm. I loved. I loved the people. I just liked the way of the city. So um, we decided that and, you know, we had been interviewing with some large churches in America, in the United States. And I had gone to school there and lived there for some time. So I, I was comfortable in American culture. My sister has, and her husband have always pastored in America. And I had a brother at the time who is uh, a lawyer in L.A. So my family at the time was living in in America. And so we thought, well, maybe we'll move to America and that we got down that road just it's just like we couldn't I just Canada is our home Mm -hmm. and we just felt like the Lord told us no yeah you just the fields are white part of it was that you know I have to keep coming back to this truth and reality that the fields are white under harvest the fields are white under harvest like because when it's hard I want to say it would be easier if I was somewhere easier where like thousands of people could just come to Jesus and it wouldn't be hard as hard of work so, anyways, we moved to Calgary to a church, a wonderful church that had been in a gym for a number okay. of years.
3: What's the church called?
0: Church in the Hills. Okay. And um, and it had been pastored by an uber amazing pastor, a pastor of pastors. And... Who's that? Doug Frederick. I know Doug. Yeah.
3: Doug and I, and Jaden's in the room, he's producing the podcast. He threw his hands in the air because... Doug and Jaden and I got to pastor the same church right. together. So
0: Doug is a constant. And I wondered,
3: and he planted that church. Church in he? Hills. Yeah, he did. Amazing. He was,
0: he's a, he's everybody's friend. And when Dave and I moved here, we were like, oh, we're like from a big city church. Like I, it was big shoes to fill, but it was really good learning for us about what it means to shepherd God's people. And hmm. so shout out to Doug. He, he, he
3: really is that, um, constantly how do i put it trying to pause i i have this theory that we have like a crisis of identity like the pastoral vocation Mm -hmm. like we just as pastors we run organizations we do these things we have a sense of what pastoral things are caring for people hospital visits opening the world we have these we're not out to lunch right but the that the and then we read Eugene Peterson, we have a crisis of right. like, who am I? What right. am I doing? <laughs> yeah, and then exactly. but Doug's been this, one of those people in my life. And I think God scattered these people all over the church yeah. that just sort of come back to some of these core, like, what does that mean to be that shepherd leader?
0: Yeah. Um, totally.
3: And that, that was one of the gifts he was in my life as well.
0: Yeah. So he, from afar, pastored us mm. into how to be not just organizational leaders or social justice warriors, but pastors. Mm. What does it mean to like walk with people through the valley of the shadow of death? And truthfully, I should have known this because I had walked through the valley of the shadow of death. But, you know, I think we're just always like, Can ask always I ask you a question mean, there? Yeah.
3: You're calling back to Psalm 23 and it was you mentioned Daryl Johnson already. Uh, recently I heard him do this teaching on what it means to be a shepherd pastor. And he, mm. I think he started in Ezekiel 34, which is the rebuke. Yeah. And then he moved to... Um, Psalm twenty three, yeah. and maybe this is old news, but for me it was like he he sort of said that this is actually like the way that the Lord is our shepherd gives yeah. us gives us language and actually a sense of our calling. Yeah, and that was a, was that what you're when you're referring yeah. to that? That's what you're getting at. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Like
0: this is like the way that we love people. Hmm. We don't. I mean, and yes to organizational structures. Yes. Yes to getting in the margin, being social justice warriors. Yes to all those things. But also, yes, to like guarding ourselves from some truncated view of celebrity because I'm actually walking with people. Mm. I'm actually weeping with people. I'm actually, so that's been like really good learning. So then um, Church in the Hills didn't have a building and we knew that the Lord gave us one assignment when we came and that was to find land. I actually think we have a very underdeveloped um, theology of land and I think when we look in the Old Testament, God does care about land now this is not to be uh, I mean our church went without land for many many years but but I had some conviction in my heart that we actually needed to find land to actually have a stake in the city. Hmm. So we would like I don't I would say to Dave I don't know how we're going to do that because we have no money in the bank like barely like not even enough to buy a bungalow the our house is our office, which was cool, coming from a very large machine, that was like really fun for the first little bit. Our kids actually thought we were unemployed. They were like, "Do you guys have jobs anymore? How come <laughs> you never leave the house?" Like they were <laughs> very worried that we had moved to another part of the country without jobs, without jobs, because people were just coming. Or you're just having lunch with your friends. What's going on here? So, anyways, it was cool for the first little bit, and then about two years into it, I was like, "No, no, I can't do this anymore." My dining room has become a place where like people's marriages like are on the rocks and et cetera. So I just said to Dave, I think we need to start driving around and doing Jericho drives. Okay. This is very outside of my personality. I would never say this, but I was like frustrated. I was like, how are we going to get a building? Yeah. And I don't know why, but we came into a new year and I stood up in front of the church and it was a kind of a smaller church. So you could kind of talk to them. I was like, hey, everybody, it's a new year and we're really excited about what God's going. to I mean, kind of like the same song and dance that all of us pastors do. You try to like, yay. Yeah, rally, good the, things troops. Are gonna, yeah, rally the troops. And coming out of my mouth is, this is, I just really think this is the year we're going to get a building. And mm-hmm. Dave is sitting in the front row going, like, definitely <laughs> telling me to stop talking. And it's, as it's coming out of my mouth, I'm trying to like, like I want to change it to like in the spirit a building yes. in the spirit a, a tabernacle for we the Lord we will be we <laughs> will be the home but it's too late because I've already said it. So after the service people are like coming up to me saying, "Do you know something we don't?" and I I'm so stressed because I want to be a person of my word and I'm thinking, "This is why people hate charismatics. This is we say stupid things like this. Why do we do this?" And I'm like losing my marbles. But Then uh, we we lost. So our youth group was really growing and our church was really growing and we were losing our building spaces because we were too many people and we were wrecking everybody's building. So we were going on vacation and our youth pastor called us on the way and said, hey, listen, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but the place we're renting just upped the rent by 500%, which was fair because we were wrecking their building. There's too many youth in their building. And we didn't have the money for that. And we go on vacation and I'm thinking, well, I guess we're done. Like, I don't even know. Hmm. And our, our rental place was kicking us out. And <clears throat> this was about a year and a half before COVID. It would have okay. been sort of a disaster Yeah. if we wouldn't have had a building for two years. So we go on vacation and I just said to Dave, maybe we're done. Maybe we came here just to be. I'm always dramatic too. So <laughs> <laughs> I go to the worst case scenario. So maybe we're done. And Dave... Um, who is a consummate professional and always just steady. This is why he is a psychotherapist, says to me, well, I think the Lord is in this, Hmm. it's okay. So we are on this vacation and Dave keeps getting this call. And since he is very disciplined, he did not answer the call on vacation at all. It's a good thing. And we get home and he answers the call. And there's a pastor of a building called Northwest Family Church and it's Roy Holmquist. And Roy has built this building Hmm. Like he built it before the city was here. Like there was nothing in this part of the world. He built it with very few people, like on faith. It's an amazing story of a pastor just having a vision from the Lord and going for it kinda of, it kind of reminded me when he talked to us about about Noah building the Ark. Hmm. Could not see the water and you still so we built this. I think it's thirty six thousand square foot building. This the auditorium seated a thousand people and he called us and said, listen, I think it's time for me to retire. And the Lord told me that I'm to give, I'm to call you guys to come to the pastor here to bring you church. Wow. And we're meeting in a coffee shop and he's telling us this and I can't, like, I'm trying to be very calm. Like, of course the Lord would do something like this. But like, so I'm saying things like, "We will, we will take time to pray about this. <laughs> and we did of course, but like, also I was like, What? I kind of wanted to scream and be unprofessional. I wasn't, though, which is showing of growth in my own life. (laughs) So um, about four months later, our church, um, which was growing and busting out of the seams, got basically gifted a building. Mm. Like these are the kinds of stories that I would like when we were pastoring in the inner city, I would always check my mailbox like probably some days, five times a day, because I was always waiting to have that story. The, you miracle, know, we, the miracle, the, check, the just one unexpected. million dollar check. And in some ways I feel like, oh God, you, maybe the story of my life is that there is hardship, but God still does miracles. And so we came together and people were saying to us, oh, it's going to be really hard. There's going to be like It's two congregations and two distinctly different congregations.
3: And there was still an active congregation. There was still an active congregation
0: here and healthy in its own way. Um, Not a lot of people, but people who really loved the Lord and a much more um, conservative, you would say, uh, congregation. And then in some ways, more charismatic than our congregation. Um, And so on paper, you wondered, is this going to just be... But the Lord just did something really beautiful. Mm -hmm. And um, so we had a whole year where we met just before COVID and then the pandemic happened. And Mm. so we were, so we are technically a four-year-old church. So we changed our name and, you know, really worked on morphing our identities. And what what did it mean for two people to come together? In some ways, it was a picture of a marriage. It is that, yeah. To, and... There are difficulties in that. I mean, anybody who's married knows that it's beautiful and also difficult because yeah. you're merging two lives together. So, yeah. So we had a year and then the pandemic happened. And so now we're a four-year-old, two-year-old church.
3: Yeah. Um, you mentioned Roy, the yeah. pastor. You know, the reality is there's, a, there's actually a lot of situations where there's a church. Yeah. And maybe not... Um, a congregation that's filling the building yep. or they have this like gift of space and maybe some people and, you know, someone like yourself without a building and a congregation, you can't just knock on a door and go, I think you guys should. Right. You know, and I just, just really wanted to pause and honor oh, the heart of Roy. just in, Just in the hopes that as we honor him in that step, that maybe there's people listening and it's like, they would be emboldened to not let not wait till the thing dies. Yeah. Or till we're at such a bitter end. Right. Or um, to kind of go, oh, because it's like it's interesting to me that as a church at large, we don't do more things that feel radically selfless. Yeah. Like laying down, you know, because yeah. that, that is it's the way of Jesus. Yeah. And it's I think it's I think it's a call for our time. Like yeah. this. This I, I use the language of creative partnerships, like yeah. unexpected partnerships yeah. are are bubbling up. It's not just something that needs to happen. It's what's happening. Yeah. Like you're seeing it, like cross denominational yeah. lines or unlikely totally. people, and the, and also in the charity space, in the Christian charity space, it's the same thing. You've got these like boomer uh, these these. Um, Charities that have great resource because they were vibrant, say, in the 70s, the 80s, and 90s. And now these people are retiring, endowing the resource, but they might not feel like they have ministry expression that's contemporary. And then you've got these young ministries that have these like dynamo young talent and innovation, but no resource. And it's the creative partnership sometimes between those. But it looks like laying down names. Like in your guys' case, as I understand it, both of you said, okay, yeah. Both names,
0: yep. you know, Had we're sort die. of a
3: new thing together. Yep. And that's so, not always the case. There's all kinds yeah, of sure, mergers there's kinds and there's of lots of hermishes. reasons. But I just love, I love hearing about it. And I, I love being in this space and seeing like, he, I really do feel in the story, these two stories colliding to yeah. make something that's a now thing, that yeah. God's blessing. What
0: was cool, and if I can even just speak to the amazingness of Roy Holmquist, he came and stayed on staff with us for an entire year. And... um was the most amazing pastor to work with mm. like he just said tell you what I'm going to do I am going to be your cheerleader mm. so I know the music's going to get louder wow. there's going to be smoke and lights and I'm going to cheerlead for you that's my job wow my job is to cheerlead for you so and that probably helped
3: the the existing absolutely. congregation here go like they're looking at him absolutely. are you cool with this yeah it's like okay if he's in we're in
0: and I just think we need more Roy's. Like I, I go back to that scripture that says you have a lot of teachers, but not many fathers. And I'm so thankful for Roy and Marilyn who are fathers and mothers in the faith and like who paved a way for us. And I, I get a little bit nervous when we've got younger representations where there seems to be a degradation of older leadership. Mm. We, need, we need older and wiser people because you know what I didn't know how to do? build a building with 32 people, 36,000 square foot building, I didn't know how to have foresight to be able to see the city was moving this way and that there would be opportunities for dynamic ministry in this place. I didn't have that foresight and I needed somebody who was older and wiser and I still need people Mm. who are older and wiser than me. I need people to remind me that like what we're dealing with now, nothing is new under the sun Mm. and I'm not in some like crazy Innovative time? No, it, the gospel has always gone forward in power in hard, hard soil, and so I am really, really thankful. I think that's that will always shape the way that our church mm. goes forward.
3: I love that so much. Um, right now it's eleven fifteen as we're recording, and uh, you mentioned at eleven o'clock there's every day weekday yeah. there's uh, like a. A program that happens. Yeah, here, tell, tell us about it.
0: Okay, so um, so we had pastored. So I, I told you that I pastored in the inner city for a decade, totally shaped and transformed the way that I think about um, our cities and the way I think about well, really the world. Uh, so then we come to this very suburban northwest Calgary is like one of the most wealthy and kind of clean versions of of a, of the city of Calgary. But I just began to like. I was really aware that there were scriptures that said. Uh, that we we have to have proximity to the poor. That's the heart of Jesus. Like, and I was trying to really wrestle with, like, I've got this really nice suburban church. Like, we have probably more doctors in our church than any other profession. Like, people with PhDs that teach at the... Like, really smart... I've never pastored a smarter group of people. I'm afraid each and every Sunday. (laughs) Uh, But, but like, also pretty, like, buttoned up. Like, everybody, you know owns a house and a car. And and I was restless, like kind of restless about like, what does it mean for me as a pastor to pastor a, a suburban congregation and, and wrestle with these texts about p- poverty? Like, so for a while we'd go downtown some days and then uh, like, you know, serve soup, or, like we tried to do things, but they felt programmatic. It didn't feel like it was embedded into mm. who we were as people. So about 18 months ago, I just, I was coming back from a speaking trip, and I, like, I don't hear the voice of the Lord a lot, but I will say that in this moment, I could just hear just an urging from the Lord. You should call the Calgary Homeless Association. I don't know anybody there, but I just called them about 18 months ago, and I said, hey, we have this big old building on the corner of northwest Calgary. I know it's nowhere near downtown, but, like, we've got 3,600 square feet. There are 36,000 square feet that we're not using very During the week, like we have small groups at night. Like I'm wondering maybe if there's a way that we could be helpful to you. I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I knew as someone who had worked in community development, it's really annoying when people try to reinvent the wheel and like try to like, you can do a food bank, we can do a food bank better. So I said, we don't want to do that. But if there's a way, like if there's something you need us to do, we'd be more than happy to do that. Anyways, I couldn't think of any way at first, but I said, hey, I just built a friendship with them. I kept calling them every couple of months and then they started calling me. So, like, I'd pray with them. I Like, it wasn't really powerful. Like, it was just me calling this group of people saying, like, is there a way that we can help? And um, about f- three months ago or four months ago, they called us and said, hey, listen, would your church open up a warming center for people experiencing homelessness? And we have gotten some funding from the government, and we'd like to Um, Could you be open? You'd be the only church in Calgary. Because our church, Roy had this amazing foresight to... We own the Tuscany train station parking lot. So this means that people from downtown can get to our church. We're the last stop on the train line. So since that, since December 1st, we've had this warming center that hundreds of people experiencing homelessness come and Mm. get food and get fed and... You know, it's been a really powerful thing for our church congregants to, like, be able to have proximity, to, to actually, like, there are people that would say that I'm their friend. Like, we're fr- we, are, we are friends. I'm learning things from them, and they're learning things from me. There isn't—we uh, just, like, set up a place where there, it's not downward relation. We eat together. Our staff always eats in the warming centre every day hmm. instead of spending our money at Wendy's or McDonald's or— you know, it's been a really cool thing, and it's been messy, so messy. Yeah. Oh, so messy, like l- both figuratively and literally messy. And it's changed our congregation dynamics on a Sunday morning. Mm. Um, and I my deepest prayer is that it would transform us, mm. that it would transform the way we look at Scripture. Because you can't read Scriptures in the same way when you have somebody experiencing homelessness next to you, that's uh, when you have somebody really battling addiction or really, and it also uh, helps us to be honest. I think I'm a much more honest person because of my friends who have battled addiction. If you battled addiction, you know this, the only way you get rid of it is by confronting it and being honest about it. So that by that honesty is contagious. And I actually Mm -hmm. think that's part of the reason why God called us to have proximity to the poor because there's an honesty in it that forces us to be honest I think there's less opportunity for grandstanding and and then ultimately for even even for our, our own moral development like um, in our to guard say I think in some ways this safeguards us against moral failure mm. because I can't because I must be honest people here will call me out on my on my garbage if I'm not being honest and that's mm important.
3: Wow. I'm really grateful for your time today. Yeah, I've loved hearing your story, a story of your family coming to know Jesus, your story into ministry, story of this church, and it's been a real gift. Thanks for your time.
0: Thanks, Jason.
1: Well, a big thank you to Jess for sitting down with us for this conversation and for the incredible work you are doing through Journey Church to serve the people of Calgary. Before we go, I want to express gratitude to a few people who helped make this episode happen. Thank you to the team at Journey Church for welcoming us into your building, Josh Thompson for arranging the interview with Jess, Jason for facilitating the conversation, and to Will Lee for producing this episode. You know, if we could be known for just one thing at CCLN, we would want it to be that we just love pastors. All of what we do, this podcast, our different gatherings, learning communities, and resources, it's designed for us to do our part to come alongside pastors in Canada, to see them and their churches strengthened, and this kind of work is only possible because we have an incredibly generous community of individuals, pastors, churches, and organizations. So if this ministry resonates with you, we'd love you to join our giving community at ccln.ca slash give through a one-time or regular donation. And if you're a pastor who has benefited in some way, shape, or form from our work at CCLN, we want to invite you and your church to partner with us. You can find out more about that at ccln.ca Slash church partners, Thanks for considering becoming a part of this community that's lifting up pastors across our nation. You know, as we close this episode, I'm reminded today through Jess's story that Jesus is always drawing people to himself and he is always building his church. We hope that those realities settle even deeper into your heart this week. Peace to you. We hope to see you soon.